Hey everyone, it's Dr. Arnold. Today's episode on kids and exercise recorded prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. I still encourage everyone to get regular exercise, but remind you to practice social distancing at the same time. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. This is Live Well Talk on Kids and Exercise. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at UniPoint Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Joining us today is UniPoint Clinic Pediatrician, Dr. Luke Spellman, to talk about how active our middle and high schoolers should be. As you can see, screen time's on the rise, whether it's devices uh, handheld or it is uh, computer time at, at a desk or in school, and uh, it, that's kind of getting crazy, and uh, we're seeing Kids get kids are bigger and bigger all the time. Uh, I, you know, we get, have kids in the hospital. They're fourteen year old. They're bigger than me. Which, for people listening to podcasts, that's relatively big. So, I, I want to talk today about exercise and how much kids need. And uh, thanks for being here. Well, it's good to be here. How much exercise does a particular age group need each day? Sure. So, I look to uh, you know guidelines, good uh, organizations, and get recommendations from you know, trustworthy organizations. And for a lot of my recommendations, I go to the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, and their recommendation now, and it's pretty similar to adults, but with adults and with the like American um, Heart Association is an hour day of uh, good exercise, good activity. Is there a corresponding uh, time of when screen time becomes too much? Well, I look to them too for recommended guidelines. That's a tough thing that we're dealing with now because kids need to know how to utilize that tech technology and that technology here to stay, is here to stay. It's really going to be a vital part of our future. Uh, the recommendation with that too comes to pretty easy to remember about an hour of high quality screen time a day. So I think, you know, utilize the screen time in school and that's going to just be a part of school. And then I think when kids get home in the afternoon, evening, you look at um, budging that time. And there are some resources out there through like the American Academy of Pediatrics to help you sort of budget that and make a schedule. That's that's probably really good advice and a yeah. good resource uh, for that. Not to be captain of the obvious, but uh, what are the benefits of exercise and activity for kids? Sure. You know, exercise is, you know, unlike adults, I think kids can sort of get by for a while. But I think the way we should think about it as a society is making or putting kids into a good routine for the future. So, you know, having that as a component of a kid's daily daily schedule can get them into a good schedule for the future. You know, it's just one of those things you look at. It's hard to tell a kiddo, you know, this can save your life 30 or 40 years from now. You know, you look at chronic illness like diabetes, you look at obesity and the effects when, they, when you hit adult age. And I think the, again, the major component is getting kids into routine so they feel good, they stay healthy at that age, but as important, get them into that routine so they're healthy adults. I mean, Dr. Spellman, that makes sense that uh, uh, inactive kids probably become inactive adults for the most part, uh, and that leads to sleep apnea, diabetes, hypertension. Right. We could, we've done other uh, podcasts on, on those conditions and their affliction for adults. Do you recommend any specific activity uh, for, l let's say I'm a parent and I have a, a child that, I'm can, that needs some activity, uh, but we're, we're, not, uh, we're not athletic, we uh, uh, maybe uh, don't have a membership to a gym, 
what what can what advice would you give me as a parent to 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 the child to encourage activity? Sure. And maybe break it down between little ones and older ones on this one. Okay. Well, so I would say first and foremost, one of the most important things and the easiest way to get activity and incorporate that into your daily life is to make it a family routine. You know, typically healthy parents have healthy kids. So if the family, if you're looking at a family and there's, you know, there's concerns about um, weight throughout the family, it, it's it really a, a really good way to do this is to make a plan as a family and try to incorporate daily activity into the routine and try to do that as a family. I think, you know, for kids that aren't as athletic or are more athletic, I think some kids are naturally drawn to certain sports. One of the most important things in my uh, from my perspective, is that kids vary their activity. Uh, if you look at, you know, like the research, and I had a, a, a colleague that looked at varying activity between different sports and uh, decreased risk of injury. You, you, look, you look at the results of studies like that, and kids do are less prone to injury if they vary their activity. I think one way you keep kids active is you make activity fun. So you're not going to ha- really have to tell a two- or three-year-old go play because they're going to be active and, and even below that age. Now, when you get into an older kid, they're going to probably get into more of a routine that the family gets into. So I, I really think one of the most important things is the family looking at together, sitting down, making a plan and trying to incorporate, incorporate daily activity into daily, their daily life. That certainly is good advice. Do you have any tricks to motivate uh, children? Uh, and your patients in this uh, realm? You know, I, I think it's just generally a discussion. Again, it's hard to tell, you know, young younger kids and even teenage kids, young adults, hey, you need to be doing this because in 40 years, this is going to affect you. I think, you know, I just try to basically, you know, sit down, talk with them and sort of try to put it in perspective and tell them, you know, you're going to probably feel a lot better just overall if you incorporate some daily activity, and then also, you know, working with your parents and the rest of your family, incorporating some healthy diet skills too. So I I think it's really just sitting with them and trying to motivate them, you know, to tell them both physically and emotionally, you're going to feel better if if you get into some sort of routine. In regards to that, what should, what is your approach to, if you will, clearing a patient to participate in activity? Sure. You know, there's a, a very specific set of questions that have been developed over time, and that's a lot of smart people have developed the pre-participation questions. Uh, that's really honed down to about if you look at whether it's the organizational questions at UniPoint or you look at the you know like the form that Iowa provides, it, it's down to around thirty questions, and those really are utilized to make sure there's no major red flags to prevent kids from increasing their heart rate getting more involved with activity. And really, if, you know, a lot of those screening, you know, if those screening questions aren't remarkable, there's really few indications for kids not to exercise, very few conditions where kids can't really get their heart rate up and and be involved and get active. So I think the pre-participation questions were developed uh, that we utilize uh, to clear kids and make sure it's safe for them to exercise. Exercise-induced asthma, that certainly is going to limit a, a segment of the patient population that you see. What's your experience with that and how, uh, how easy is it to treat uh, and to get that 
young person back to full participation. Sure. There's a lot of components that go into asthma and especially exercise-induced asthma. So one thing you really have to hone down with the kiddo or young adult or younger patient, you have to figure out what triggers it. So, you know, if you have a cross-country runner in the fall, you know, and, and they get some allergy symptoms in the fall or even the temperature of the air or whatnot, you, you have to look at all those triggers and you try to maximize, you know, what you can do to help them. With most cases of exercise-induced asthma, it's usually using like a bronchodilator like an albuterol about 15 to 20 minutes before exercise, and then basically following up the patient, trialing that, following up and seeing how they're doing. And then you try to treat any other potential triggers as well as you can, like allergies, to get them to the best possible position they can to participate. Now, you're going to run into things with like exercise-induced asthma, but you really want to have the goal of putting them into the best situation where they can have the least amount of symptoms. Certainly in the adult population, you have extrinsic and intrinsic asthma. And sometimes you'll hear an adult say, well, I had asthma when I was a kid, but I grew out of it. Well, you probably remove from whatever agent was triggering that, whether it's home or whatever. Um, is exercise asthma something that people grow out of it, or do, do, does that carry on in adulthood? So in my experience, I, I do think it's potentially something that kids uh, you know, can grow out of. You know, I, I've seen, it's really been for me sort of a case-by-case case, uh, type of situation. I've had kids that one season needed, you know, a rescue inhaler or needed a, you know, a pre-participation inhaler, and then the next season did fine. So it's really, it's almost like a moving target in kids. That's okay. what I would say. Age with kids seems to be a, a big factor in how they generally, if they, how they do with asthma or reactive airway. I think exercise-induced asthma, I think, is is, again, a lot of environmental factors contribute to that. And I do think age does too. So I think it's one of those things where probably the best thing in, in that situation is just to have periodic follow-up and see how they do through different seasons. And, and hopefully, you know, some things just get better. And I'm thankful for that. <laughs> exactly. As far as motivate, coming back to the motivation question, is it healthy to use screen time as a as a negotiating tool with children to say, you know, you can have an hour of screen time to match your hour of activity. I think that could be a dangerous path to go on. Uh, one, I have two teenage daughters and they're difficult to negotiate with, you know. President Trump might think he's the art of the deal, but I'd like to see him negotiate with yeah, teenagers. Good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, but but I, you don't want to reward them and then they... When we were kids, we were rewarded with food, and you know I've always thought that's a bad thing to do because then you equate food with rewards, and that can lead to a vicious cycle at some point in your life. Do you have any recommendations on the screen time and motivation? Sure, I think it's you know I think especially with teenagers, in my experience working with teenagers and nephews and nieces, sometimes you got to try about anything, <laughs> anything that <laughs> like, works, yeah, anything that I works. Totally agree. But I think, you know, from my perspective, and again, I think it's different for everybody and it's different when somebody's directly working with their, their kids. Uh, I think if you set sort of a standard in the household, an expectation, I think, and, and know that this is the expectation and, and including that is, you know, we need to be getting outside. We need to be doing some different activities, finding some things we enjoy. And then if they're not meeting that, you know, it's like with, I mean, the, the, the cell phones, you know, that's a big tool to utilize 
as far as this is the expectations we have. And if you, you know, if we meet those as a family, then, you know, that's, that's part of what you, you get to have. But I do think if you get into the bartering, you know, system where it's like an hour activity, an hour more, an hour more screen time that could get you into maybe a little trouble. So I, I think it's with parents. I think parents have every right to say, listen, these are the expectations we have. I'm trying to do what's best for your future. And one of those is going to be exercise. And I'm, you know, we can barter, with, barter to a certain extent, but I'm looking forward for your life 20, 30 years down sure, the road. Sure. That so. makes sense. And, and, uh, but teenage girls, I, you know, good luck. Yeah. yeah I'll tell you. <laughs> well, speaking of my daughters, both of them are, they're yeah. multi-sport athletes, both of them. They do a lot of conditioning and a lot of activity. So when is, when are you overtraining as a teenager? So can a teenager overtrain? Sure. I think there's red flags with anything. Okay. So if you look like in, at various illnesses, like if you're screening someone, like what are the red flags, what this kid is, you know, his illnesses, his or her illnesses progressing, progressing, you know, I talked to parents about red flags. I, I definitely think there's um, overtraining, overconditioning. I think very important if you're a, a you know, in a club sport, you're, you're a dedicated athlete. Having good coaches is a big component to it. And then having parents that are there and are reasonable and can, can monitor for certain things. A couple of red flags that I'd look at, I'd look at, number one, are they enjoying it? So if, they, if, a, if a young person stops enjoying the sport they're playing, there's an issue. So, and you see that with especially a lot of the club sports. You see that with the year-round sports. You know, if a kid's not enjoying what he or she is doing, then, you know, there needs to be discussion. Are you doing okay? Is this too much? And then I think you have to look at just health because overtraining can leave, have some health consequences too. So fatigue, increased stress, and along with those, you know, that does make kids more susceptible to uh, illness, acute illness. So a good example would be wrestling. And I think uh, the state of Iowa and other states take, they take a lot of caution now with weight gain, weight loss, and they watch that closely because that there are sports that traditionally have been sports where you could overtrain, lose interest, and then and then also can affect you in the other yeah, way. Yeah, I, I wrestled uh, in the era of when you could cut a bunch of weight till the night before, right. weigh in that morning on Friday for Saturday, and then gain all the weight back Friday. So I always used to laugh that here I'm going out on the mat with another guy that we both shed 30 pounds and then gain it right back. So why didn't we just wrestle at the weight that we were? So there was no right. advantage, of course. And I know they've changed that. I know they, the, the weigh-ins is a, is a much different and much closer to mat time yep. uh, with the wrestling, which totally makes sense. You mentioned the clubs, and younger and younger and younger, this club participation yep. is. I, I, can't, I heard on the radio some news story, a number of billions of dollars this industry has become training children. Amazing. It, it was multiple billions. Yeah. I can't, three or four, I can't remember. Is there an age that uh, developmentally... You say, okay, this is our ceiling. You, you, you can't go lower in this age for club participation. So I haven't really seen. So a, a good example, I I went to you know my one of my best friends. I went to their couple of their baseball games this year, and they're they're going down to six, seven years old for club sports now. And you know, I don't, I don't know if there is a specific age, but I think you have to be really cautious. I think uh, again, younger kids. The reasons they should be involved in sports at young ages is to enjoy it and to get some good activity 
camaraderie, meet people, have fun. You know, it's not, you know, you say the win-loss thing, it's, you know, it becomes a pretty important thing to a lot of people yeah, right away. Yeah. But I think if parents keep that in perspective and, you know, with a lot of these club sports, a lot of the coaches are parents. So if you have reasonable parents working with these kids, then you usually have a really good experience. What I've noticed too with club sports now is a lot of the parents, I think, are really enjoying the camaraderie and the friendships they develop with other parents. So, you know, I, I think, like we said before, I think you look for red flags for kids. If they're not wanting to get to practice, they're not enjoying themselves. I think there needs to be a discussion. You have to say, should we back off this a little bit? And another big component with club sports is, you know, I, I had, a, again, a colleague that did a study looking at uh, risk of injury with relative to number of sports. The kids with a decreased risk of injury were kids that played multiple sports. Yeah, I've, I've seen that same uh, so, research that indicates yeah. that, uh, which, uh, which we encourage. But on the same token, Coaches encourage multi-sport athletes as long as it's their sport that is the primary one. You know, I exactly. Mean, so that, you know, they're territorial on that. I don't think we can get away from this subject without talking about diet, yeah, uh, and as it relates to exercise. You know, there, there's like three things in life that you really shouldn't discuss with people, and that's religion, politics, and diet, because people are committed to those, and it becomes uh, a, a heated argument quite quickly. And there's a lot of stuff out there about diet, but supplements, protein supplements, protein drinks. My wife has CrossFit. She has protein drinks. She has these supplements. Sure. Is that something that a teenager should be doing or not? So I, I, I've given a fair amount of supplement talks and there really aren't, there really are not too many supplements I'd recommend in teenagers. Uh, teenagers and adults are still, they're, they're, they're very different in, from a, from a, a physical perspective. So for example, I, I give this example to a lot of kids I talk about. If a, a young man's playing football and, and he's, he's doing off-season training, he's lifting, and all he's eating is protein, then he might actually lose weight. So you look at, you know, I, I, I talk about, especially teenagers, they're like, they're like steam engines, and you need to feed that steam yeah, engine. Yeah. They're, 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 uh, their metabolism so high. So a well-balanced diet with some carbohydrates is, is a smart way to go. If you get to, you know, a young man or a, a young woman that's a, a, a high, intense, uh, dedicated athlete, and you start just giving them just protein or, some, you know, or, or something like that, then you actually might get in trouble and you might actually see some, you know, problems with that as far as lack of weight gain, appropriate weight gain, lack of appropriate calories. So I think you have to be very careful. I'm also very cautious uh, when I talk to teenagers. I'm very cautious on talking to, with them about creatine supplements like that. Um, creatine energy drinks are, I think, are a bad idea, probably in anybody, but more so in teenagers. So there's really not a lot of supplements out there, especially for young athletes that are really geared towards them. Now, I would go to like an adult athlete and you're do doing more protein and things like that. I think there is some appropriate good supplements. You just want to use a trustworthy supplement and a good supplement. It certainly makes sense. Yeah. The flip side of that, the myth, the carbohydrate load prior to exercise, is it, is it myth or uh, uh, just uh, urban legend? So for, for high endurance athletes, so if you have like triathletes, you know, and um, or you have like long distance runners, actually a carbohydrate load's not a bad idea. They need fast energy. So, so you look at like the you know, different products, like there's this packets with high carbohydrate load. 
you look at uh, recommendations by sports nutritionists, and one of the best actually uh, supplements they utilize for like high endurance athletes, triathletes, things like that is chocolate milk because it has a good amount of fat, has good carbohydrate. So I thought that was really interesting. That always stuck with me. And when I was uh, doing my fellowship, the sports nutritionists talked about different different diets, and they actually said chocolate milk was a good a good uh, nutritional source for high endurance athletes. So I I, I do think there's times where a, a, a good amount of fast energy carbohydrates good for especially for someone who's going to be active for multiple hours. That chocolate milk reminds me of uh, elementary school Wednesdays was yeah, yeah. chocolate milk day. Did you yeah. have that? Yeah, we we did have a chocolate. Yeah. I think ours was Fridays. Ours I loved was it. Wednesdays. I waited know, for Fridays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I really want to thank you for stopping by. This has been very interesting, and I think it's a dynamic topic uh, with a lot of information out there, and uh, it's been uh, enjoyable to discuss this. And I think we're going to have more conversations with you about this as 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 the year goes on. Again, this was Dr. Luke Spellman, a pediatrician from Unipoint Clinic Pediatrics. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest for our Live Well Talk on podcast, shoot us an email at stlukescr at unitypoint.org. And we encourage you to tell your family, friends, neighbors about our podcast. Until next time, be well.